for our seminar on Fenerock, uh, which we uh, which comes in light of the recent which comes in light of the recent about uh, a third to a quarter of UNRWA's annual budget. Uh, the seminar today will be in two parts. Uh, we will begin by hearing from uh, Mr. Claudio Condon, uh, the Director of UNRWA Affairs in Lebanon. And then we'll have a short break and we'll have a panel uh, with Professor Sari Hanafi, the leading uh, researcher Jagr Sulaiman, and the news actor Samar Yusbash. Uh, we had uh, planned to have the meeting under the Chatham House rule, uh, but we have a lot of media, so I think we will uh, have just a normal uh, seminar. <laughs> uh, first of all, I'd like to just introduce uh, Mr. Claudio Cordon. He's the Director of UNRWA Affairs, as I mentioned, in Lebanon. He's been in this position since March 2017. He was previously the Director of the Human Rights uh, Transitional Justice and Rule of Law Division of the United Nations Support Mission in Libya. Uh, previously, he worked with the International Center for Transitional Justice and with Amnesty International in a number of roles. He'll be speaking for about 30 to 35 minutes and then we'll be followed with a question and answer period. Thank you, Perla, and uh, thank you all for, uh, for coming here. What uh, I thought I'll do is, uh, you all, uh, I suspect, quite familiar with UNRWA, but um, it's never harmful to go over, uh, again, some of the basics in terms of where UNRWA fit into the overall international architecture. What do we actually do, uh, including who are our beneficiaries? And you may discover things that perhaps you don't all know. And then focus on the funding crisis on the uh, generated by the U.S. decision, but not only the U.S. decision. And then some thoughts about the future prospects, if any. So let me start with, uh, you know, where does uh, UNRWA uh, fit into the international order? The, depart the departing point is the right of return. The resolution 994 that was passed in 1948 by the General Assembly resolution, a year before UNRWA was created, so UNRWA has no direct connection with that resolution. As you know, the language of the, res the resolution is very specific in terms of what the right is. And it says that the refugees wishing to return to their homes and live in peace with their neighbors uh, shall be permitted to do so at the earliest practicable date. And then there are provisions to give compensation both to those who return and to the refugees who decide not to return. Now, uh, UNRWA is a humanitarian organization. Of course, we work very much in a highly politicized, polarized environment. Um, and uh, we say, when we're asked, well, what do you think the political solution should be? So it's not us, it's not our role. There are other parts of the UN that deal with that. But of course, we exist because there is a need to support Palestine refugees until a just, a durable solution should be found. And as you know, the UN position as a whole is that there should be a two-state solution with Jerusalem as a shared capital. And that issues such as the uh, issue of the refugees, the right to return, and everything else should be resolved uh, through negotiations. Now, 
who is a Palestine refugees and even why are they called in our language Palestine refugees and not Palestinians. This is because at the beginning, uh, well, let me give you first the, def the definition, which has gone through a, a number of reformulations, but the definition that has been used now for quite some time is person whose normal place of residence was Palestine during the period 1st June 45 to 15 May 48, and who lost both homes and means of livelihood as a result of the 48 conflict. And the status passes on to descendants of these refugees. Now, this is an operational definition, it's not a legal definition. Operational because UNRWA needed to define who is it that would be entitled to their assistance. So it includes non-Palestinians, and in fact, in the first years, we even had Israelis uh, that uh, were receiving help from UNRWA until Israel decided to, to take them over. That's why it says Palestine refugees. And here in Lebanon, we have Lebanese that were not Palestinians, that were living in Palestine, that meet this definition, and then you know, came to Lebanon together with the others during the Nakba. It, ex it excludes some Palestinians. So if you're not a 48 Palestinian, you cannot be registered for UNRWA. This doesn't mean that you're not Palestinian, you're not entitled to the rights of return and so on. You just don't fit into our definition. So those who came, were displaced after 67, those who came to Lebanon in the 70s and so on, uh, are not Palestine refugees, although they have access to our services. The issue of descendants. So this is actually a general principle. In order to maintain family unit, you're not gonna uh, say that the parents have a right to return and the kids don't. It, it, it wouldn't make sense. Uh, but UNRWA has a sexist approach to the definition. It's only through the father's line that the status of refugee is, uh, is passed on. And finally, this is a resolution that has been endorsed by the General Assembly. And so it would require the General Assembly to, uh, to amend it. So let me say two words about UNRWA and UNHCR. There's a lot of talk, a lot of confusion, uh, deliberate or otherwise, about, uh, about this issue. So UNRWA, as I said, was created, uh, actually was created in, uh, in December 1949, no votes against, was created by the General Assembly and became operational in May 1950. Our mandate is renewed every three years by the General Assembly. Uh, the last time it was renewed in 2016, out of uh, 193 members, 167 voted in favor, one voted against, no price for guessing which state was that. There were nine abstentions, including the US, and 16 states that didn't vote. The mandate goes on until 30 June 2020. Now, UNHCR was established a, a year later in 1950. They also had a three-year mandate initially, but this has become permanent. I guess the world has recognized that uh, uh, refugees are always going to be there, whereas perhaps Palestine refugees at one point uh, may have their case uh, resolved. And in order to avoid a duplication between UNHCR and UNRWA, there is an article in the Convention on Refugees that in the end is the terms of reference of UNHCR uh, that make it clear that uh, the convention doesn't apply to others who receive assistance or protection by another UN agency. UNRWA is not mentioned, but it was the only one, it's still the only one that have a specific mandate for a specific population. But <clears throat> now, in, like UNHCR, 
uh, also in HCR, the status of refugee goes through descendants for the same principles that we said. So when you hear Netanyahu or others saying, we want UNRWA to be taken over by UNHCR so that we'll get rid of the issue of, uh, of refugees who are not, who are descendants of those who uh, were in Palestine in 48, it's, it's simply uh, not correct. Uh, like uh, UNRWA, like UNHCR, the preferred first solution to any refugee situation is repatriation, is return to your country. There are other solutions, such as integration in the country where you are, or resettlement to a third country that is part of what UNHCR does, but it's not part uh, of, uh, of our man mandate. And in any case, any solution for a refugee requires the uh, agreement, the consent of the refugee in, in question, and of the host country uh, where that refugee is or where they intend to, uh, to settle in, uh, in the end. Now, there is another paragraph in uh, the 51 Convention that a lot of people are talking about, which says that when the protection and assistance provided by these other agencies stops for whatever reason, then UNHCR immediately, automatically will provide protection. This doesn't mean that if UNRWA stops existing, UNHCR will do the same things that UNRWA does. But it means that, at least in terms of protection, in terms of the basic rights, uh, UNHCR will take over. However, we've been extremely clear, the UN couldn't have been clearer in terms of uh, there's no discussion about UNHCR taking over UNRWA. Uh, you heard it from the UNHCR Commissioner General, who happens to be the uh, Commissioner General of UNRWA. You heard it from the Secretary General of the UN, who happened to be the, uh, the High Commissioner for Refugees. So people that are at the highest level of the UN, who are intimately knowledgeable about, uh, about this, have made it very clear that this is not on the cards. And in any case, again, it would require the General Assembly to uh, vote, um, to, to make that decision. Now, let me turn into you know, what does uh, actually UNRWA does and who, uh, who does it serve. Um, I'd like to highlight the fact that uh, we do have what we call a medium-term strategy with uh, five key outcomes. It's meant to last until 21. And the first pillar of the strategy is what we call protection. It's basically making sure that the human rights of the refugees are respected. So we've gone a long way from being just an assistant operation, you give food and so on, to recognition that all this actually has a human rights uh, value that ought to be recognized. And then the other goals is providing health, education, and uh, uh, helping with the basic needs uh, of the refugees. For those interested in this debate, uh, UNRWA could be classified as much as a development organization, uh, as much as a humanitarian emergency assistance, because in fact we do both things. You know, our school's vocational training is not exactly emergency assistance, but when we get, uh, like, we, like we did, uh, Palestinian refugees from Syria and we need to support them, that's uh, emergency assistance. So what are these uh, services? Uh, again, I don't want to bore you with uh, lots of figures and things, but again, it's important to have a sense of uh, what they are because this is what really at stake if we can continue with our operations. So we have more than half a million boys in schools uh, in more than 700 schools. Here in Lebanon is 37,000, uh, including 5,500 kids coming from uh, Palestinian refugees from Syria. And we have a vocational center with about 1,000 students. In terms of health, there are more than 3 million uh, people who receive uh, health care in uh, our primary health clinics. We have 27 of those in Lebanon. 
And in Lebanon, we also support uh, uh, the cost of hospitalization that, as you know, are extremely expensive and uh, Palestinians in Lebanon don't have access to uh, the public uh, uh, health services. Uh, and so that is, uh, is one of the uh, essential um, budgets that, uh, that we have. We also have social services. More than 200,000 uh, Palestinians uh, receive social assistance. Here in Lebanon, we have 61,000 uh, who are below the poverty line, that's about $6 a day, and who receive only $10 a month per person. Uh, but you'll be surprised how much demand there is for this minimum support. Uh, but we can afford to support only 61,000, although we have assessed and we know there are more that would need that. And then there's the works that we do in the 12 uh, official refugee camps. Now again, these are not UNRWA camps. They used to be called like that before the Civil War, as far as I have uh, been told. Uh, they are called Palestine refugee camps. And this is because UNRWA is not responsible for running the camps. This is done by the popular committees that represent the Palestinian factions. Uh, what we do is uh, uh, take care of uh, what we call shelters. These are basically the homes, making sure that you know, the roofs don't fall on their heads and uh, do some basic work of that nature all the sanitation, the waterworks, and, of course, uh, uh, the garbage. And um, I can have a separate lecture on the challenges of getting the garbage out of the camp and then joining the rest of Lebanon, figuring out where do you put, uh, where do you put it once it's out uh, of the camps. One thing that we don't do, uh, well, unfortunately, a lot of it goes there, um, is uh, the uh, paying for the electricity bills of the refugees. There are some misconceptions, including our uh, foreign minister in Lebanon thinks that uh, UNRWA should be paying those bills. Of course, we pay the bills in my office and everything, but uh, uh, Palestinian refugees are the ones meant to pay their own bills. And we are in trying to facilitate discussions between popular committees, the government, the municipalities, into how we make a system whereby those bills can be collected, uh, and then we can look at uh, what happened in the past. The other specific things about Lebanon is that uh, UNRWA is rebuilding an entire refugee camp. That's not about it. Uh, we haven't done it anywhere else. I'm not sure we'll do it again. Um, this was, uh, um, and, and, and there was an agreement between the international community in Lebanon that the camp, after it was destroyed in 2007, would be rebuilt, more or less as it was, just in a shrunken way, and there are military restrictions and lots of other things that. Uh, I, I won't uh, go into the detail now. It was meant to be finished in four years. We are 11 years since then, and we've rebuilt about 55% uh, of it. This is because, again, it relies on funding. It's a special, uh, in a sense, it's like a special project. And uh, at the moment, we have funding to go on until next March. After that, if we don't get more funding, all the construction work uh, will stop. Now, the beneficiaries, who are UNRWA beneficiaries? There are the Palestine refugees. Uh, as per the definition that I mentioned. But then there are other persons, uh, and these are uh, the families, effectively, of uh, refugees who are not themselves uh, refugees. So uh, a Palestinian uh, woman who marries a Sudanese or a Lebanese, uh, their hus her husband and their children are not, do not become refugees, but, but can have access to, uh, uh, to our services. And then we have other, as I mentioned, we have you know, uh, Palestinians who came here in 67, they have access to our services. We have Palestinians who uh, are not registered with, uh, uh, with do not have Lebanese doc documentation, 
um, for a number of reasons. Uh, and again, we provide, uh, they're entitled to, uh, to those services. So the beneficiaries are not exclusively Palestinian, Palestine refugees, but there are others that for uh, obvious reasons, uh, I think uh, humanitarian reasons, are uh, entitled uh, uh, to, to that. Now, don't ask me how many Palestinians are in the country because uh, the answer is that I don't know and I'll point you to the available data. The available data is the official census. Uh, it's an actually official Palestinian Lebanese census. 174, 422 living in the uh, 12 camps and in 156 so-called uh, adjacent gatherings. So it was not by definition a national census, so by definition the number has to be uh, higher, uh, but nobody knows exactly by, by how much. Uh, those who are at AUB, of course, will remember the AUB survey that was done in 2010 and confirmed in 2015. And using a different methodology, they came out with an estimate of between 260,000 and 280,000 uh, Palestine refugees uh, in the country. What I can tell you for sure is that uh, in 2017, we provided services to 204,000 beneficiaries. That includes mostly our Palestine refugees, but then these other persons that I, that I, mentioned, uh, I mentioned to you. What we know for sure is how many Palestine refugees from Syria uh, are here. Those, because we give them cash assistance uh, uh, once a month, um, there are, at the last count, 20, uh, slightly more than 29,000, uh, and we define them as those who came to Lebanon after 15th of March 2000, uh, 2011. Um, and again, those interesting statistics, uh, we have the levels of, uh, uh, of poverty are 65%, according to AUB, among uh, Palestinian refugees from Lebanon, and 90% among those from Syria. Unemployment, 23% for PRLs, as we call the Palestine uh, refugees from, uh, from Lebanon, and 52% for those uh, from Syria. In terms of who lives in the camps, um, it's, uh, according to the census, is effectively, uh, the majority of Palestinians live outside the camp, 55% uh, versus 45%. And there are some camps like Shatila where you only have by now around 30,000 Palestinian, Palestine refugees, or Palestinians actually, and then, you know, the majority are Syrians and, and so on. So this is actually what um, uh, is going to be the basis for an interesting discussion with the Lebanese government, the municipalities, other agencies, because we take care of the whole population of the camp. But given that we are in dire need of money, we should have a discussion about, given that we serve others, uh, perhaps there should be uh, ways of uh, compensating to some extent uh, for their work. Let me now get to the, uh, the, the issue of the funding um, and some of the more political things that have been said uh, around uh, the question of funding. So first of all, uh, UNRWA is funded through voluntary contribution by states. There is only a very small proportion that comes from the central uh, UN budget, like the salaries of international people like me. Um, but all the rest of the fun funding, and it's about, uh, we need about 1.2, 1.3 billion a year, uh, comes from uh, voluntary contributions. Um, there was a discussion last year about, uh, um, uh, at the General Assembly about increasing the proportion of the budget that comes from the UN. There was a, a strong opposition uh, by uh, countries that, again, you, you can imagine, and in the end it was decided not to push it. I suspect this 
will come back uh, into, uh, into play. Our funding is what we call the core uh, for the core budget, uh, but then also we have two emergency appeals relating to Syria. That what gets us the money to fund our operations primarily in Syria, but also for the Palestinian refugees here, uh, from Syria here, and for the West Bank and Gaza, for the occupied Palestinian territory. Uh, this is also, uh, it's a separate source of funding. This has also been uh, badly affected. And then we have projects. Uh, again, many countries would rather fund a particular project than, uh, than just put money into the overall budget. I mentioned that about it, but we have schools. There's a new school being built inside uh, uh, the rebuilding of part of, parts of Nahal Helwe um, comes also from a Japanese project and so on. And in fact, half of the budget of the Lebanon office is made of uh, projects. So you can imagine how much time is spent uh, looking for administering uh, grants, uh, project funding, as well as deciding how to handle the, uh, um, the core budget. The, uh, um, you know, the problem of the funding for UNRWA precedes the U.S. decision. It's no secret that we've always been struggling every year to get uh, to, the, to the end of the year. Last year, there was uh, a report of the Secretary General that uh, outlined some measures uh, that uh, were being suggested in order to try to make the funding more stable. One was to create a, a World Bank Trust Fund, and this is more or less uh, uh, going to happen. It was also uh, to create a WAQF, and the Organization Islamic Conference has agreed to that. These are all uh, very important, valuable um, initiatives, but it will, they will take time, and also the amounts that they produce uh, are not such uh, that, would, uh, um, that would do away with the need to have significant contributions from, uh, from states. So just to give you the, the figures of uh, this uh, current crisis, we, uh, when we started in January, and when the U.S. decided to give 60 million only, they normally give 360, they gave only 60 million and they said you cannot use them for uh, Syria and for Lebanon. Uh, we faced a, a, a gap of 446 million. Um, and through huge efforts, including with countries that hadn't usually contributed to a large extent in, in the past, we managed to reduce this by half. But we're still in need of more than 200 million to be able to continue to function beyond, beyond September to reach the end of the year. And then we're going to start next year with uh, probably a few months funding, and we'll continue. We'll start again chasing for uh, funding to reach uh, the, the end of the year. Now, in order to partly deal with the crisis, uh, but in, in any case, in, in general, to try to um, make the best use of the money that we have and uh, uh, you know, last as long as we can, we had already taken a, a number of measures in January and they are still into effect. These affect primarily our staff because the priority was to keep the services going at all costs. So for example, we, our staff is due uh, a salary review since last September when the government of Lebanon decided to give the public sector a salary rises. Automatically, uh, our employees are entitled to have a review and eventually, if that's the case, get a salary rise. We suspended that. We haven't implemented that uh, yet. Um, we stopped uh, uh, retirement age is now 60, is no longer uh, 62. We're not uh, replacing many of the, of the vacancy. We've uh, charged more for, uh, for transport fees. Many of our employees are being transported from various parts of Lebanon, for example, to, uh, to Beirut and so on. 
um, and other, you know, uh, other cost savings measures. We also had a discussion with the Palestinian community this year about merging a number of schools and um, reducing the time some of the clinics open where there are least patients. These actually are not related to the crisis. This, in the normal circumstances, would have been considered uh, normal sort of uh, cost efficiency uh, measures. But uh, there was a very strong objection on the grounds that this was seen, regardless of the intention, regardless of what objectively they were, as implementing a plan to tahrisat, reduce the services, implementing the, the plan of the U.S., etc. And uh, we decided in the end uh, to, uh, not to implement it this year, although I think it was a, it was a missed opportunity. But you know, we also operate in an environment where we do need and we do value the consultation with, uh, uh, with the community, with, uh, with the country that hosts us, uh, and so on. Let's get now to the U.S. decision, because the statement of 31st of August is actually interesting in, in many ways. So when the U.S. announced that they were stopping funding for UNRWA, they gave a number of reasons in that statement. One was the issue of uh, uh, burden sharing. They said, why should the U.S. bear what they consider a um, disproportionate uh, amount of, uh, uh, of the cost. Um, now this now would be less valid because thanks to our effort we have diversified um, the, the, the donor base and um, <clears throat> um, so in that sense this is, uh, has less of a value, that argument. Um, as, an, as an organization that is funded voluntarily, we of course regret the decision but also we cannot say there was any obligation on the U.S. To give, us, uh, to give us the money. However, we reject the other statements that were made uh, at the same time. The dis description of UNRWA as irredeemably failed operation, uh, sorry, flawed operation, which amounts to more or less the same. Um, it's not clear whether this refers to our uh, management, to the way we're working, and it would be very hard for them to do so because just in December, the US had signed the agreement that they were going to give us the same amount of money as in previous years. And then a few days later, Trump made a decision about Jerusalem, and all of a sudden, our funding uh, disappeared. But we have evaluations from the US. We have evaluations from the EU. We have the World Bank that can testify that, of course, we're not a perfect organization, uh, but that actually we're a very good value for money. We have a program of reform that is ongoing. So this uh, issue that uh, you know, this is a corrupt, failed organization cannot be backed up by any, uh, by, any proper, uh, by any proper assessment. So what, uh, what they're really talking about, and again, I'm just quoting the statements, is looking for alternative models. The US will intensify dialogue with the UN host governments and international stakeholders about new models and new approaches, which may include direct bilateral assistance to, uh, from the US to other partners. So basically, UNRWA should go, and it should be replaced by others. The others is not very clear. Now, one thing that has happened, uh, and it's not a secret, clearly uh, the U.S. has offered the host countries to be paid in order to carry out the service that UNRWA does. There was an interview with the uh, Jordanian uh, foreign minister. When he was asked this, he said, well, uh, yes, there was some discussion of that, but basically it's a non-starter. Jordan is not prepared to do that. Lebanon has said the same thing. All the host countries have been very clear that uh, they are not prepared 
to, uh, to replace UNRWA. I told you before about the UN agencies. Um, you know, I'm not sure there's any NGO or others uh, that can uh, run services for uh, the, the, the sort of um, numbers that, um, that I mentioned. So in, uh, in this respect, then uh, you know, there isn't uh, an obvious uh, uh, solution, um, and we don't know what the alternative is. Perhaps it will be in the deal of the century when and if that is, uh, is announced. One thing that uh, the U.S. Uh, uh, is also saying is that, uh, contrary to rumors, they will not lobby for uh, others not to fund UNRWA. Um, but we'll see how, uh, how, that, uh, how that works. So, the, um, you know, in response to this, uh, we said, uh, you know, we have a mandate. We'll continue to, uh, to implement it. Uh, we are fairly encouraged by a number of countries that have come forward. Uh, to say that uh, they will increase their contribution. It's not clear, the figures are not clear yet. Some have already done it. The UK has uh, come up with 9 million. Uh, Germany has announced a significant increase in their contribution. They haven't said uh, how much yet. There is a meeting at the General Assembly, on the Saturday General Assembly, on the 27th of, uh, of September. Uh, it was initially co-chaired by Jordan and Sweden. Sweden with Jordan have been among the most active, uh, in a, particularly the foreign ministers, in terms of supporting us, but others are joining in. Japan, I think Lebanon is also going to be uh, part, of, uh, part of that and others. Uh, and the Secretary General, again, will be personally involved in uh, trying to make sure that uh, we, uh, we resolve this crisis, that we get to the end of the year before we start uh, next, uh, next year. So in terms of uh, you know, what does the future looks like, other than a future of uh, continued uh, struggle to uh, manage to be able to uh, not just provide services, but actually you know, to maintain the quality, because that's, that's the other important thing. Um, <clears throat> well, first, we can expect that when the mandate comes up for discussion, it's probably towards the end of next year, the issue of uh, should UNRWA exist as a whole and the definition of refugees and other things uh, Will be uh, will be debated, you know. Given the uh, level of support that we've had so far, I doubt that uh, there will be much appetite for changing that. But uh, you never know. On the grounds, on the ground, uh, you may have heard rumors about uh, um, possibly considering stopping UNRWA's operation in Jerusalem, in East Jerusalem, uh, or even in the whole of the West Bank. Um, I haven't seen denial or confirmation from uh, the Israeli government on that, but this is something that's being talked about as a possible uh, next step. <clears throat> but I guess the, the most important thing is, you know, uh, UNRWA is a temporary, imperfect solution because of a political crisis. Um, now, is this crisis going to be resolved through negotiation or through some form of imposition? Um, and uh, this is something that uh, also the international community as a whole needs to decide how they're going to engage if the choice of imposing a solution as opposed to negotiating one is, uh, is taken with the consequences that that, that may have. In the meantime, we are, uh, as I said, determined to continue to provide uh, uh, our services, uh, but we need concrete support, not just political support. When it comes to Lebanon, there is something beyond the political support that Lebanon can give us. And uh, we look forward to the removal of the restriction on the right to work of uh, Palestinians. 
this is actually, there is consensus among the seven top parties here in Lebanon. It was reflected in this thing called the Unified Vision uh, uh, on uh, Palestine uh, refugees. Um, it was announced last August. Uh, uh, it was something that the uh, Lebanese-Palestinian Dialogue Committee, which, as you know, is an office in, in the office of the Prime Minister, had, uh, had coordinated. Um, and uh, with the lack of government, it's difficult to pursue this. Uh, but this is definitely something that uh, we're keen to, uh, uh, to implement. <clears throat> and this is because for those who think that uh, uh, improving people's life, uh, Palestinians' life, I just don't see the logic. People don't have to live in misery to maintain their rights, including the right to return. They don't need UNRWA. They don't need uh, restrictions on the right to work. They don't need restriction on property to be able to maintain that. On the contrary, they should be able to, uh, to live in dignity like anybody else waiting for, uh, for, uh, for a solution to their, um, to their plight. So to conclude, I think I've, uh, I've been clear in uh, trying to explain why UNRWA is not the problem. We're not protracting a problem. The problem is the world, the parties first of all, and the world who cannot work out a, a durable and a just uh, resolution. And um, uh, for as long as, uh, so the problem is not caused by the existence of, uh, of an agency, or a humanitarian agency. Um, I'd be very worried about those who think that uh, disruption is, is, uh, is the strategy. Um, if uh, by disrupting you mean stopping UNRWA, more or less uh, all of a sudden uh, there may well be mass reaction, individual reactions, and uh, as you know, there is enough uh, um, powder kegs uh, that haven't exploded yet, in addition to the ongoing explosion of the Syrian conflict and others, uh, that could easily then degenerate into uh, something that uh, I think everybody will regret. So in conclusion, I think, you know, Palestine refugees, like all refugees, require just a durable solution, and anything else is really playing with fire. And I will stop there. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you very much for this uh, enlightening discussion. Uh, we can take questions. Yeah. Or comments. Or comments. Short comments. Uh, we have a center for refugee rights called Adi. Three years ago, we asked your secretary just to uh, ask you that if it's possible that you just uh, give information and lectures for the students about the establishment of all of them. And the points including within it including the preface about right of And after now, the past three years, and we didn't hear that you are teaching such thing which is vigilant. I am not asking you to teach something political. Just the establishment of Alwa, you have this, you know, it's by the secretary, it's not more than that, this is one thing. The second thing, I worked for a long time ago. And uh, there was a dispute over the issue of uh, registering, uh, registering part who are not refugees. Whenever they say that they started to register under the logo of gender, of gender equity, 
the sons and daughters of refugee women, like what happened in Lebanon. In some countries like Lebanon, they never give services to the Palestinians. And all, all the time saying that they don't have enough money to provide services for the refugees. So, and they continue to practice this. And this, I guess, it's an underground policy to give understanding that the number of refugees are not correct. That's it. Thank you. Would you like to take three questions, maybe? Mm -hmm. So we'll take three questions at a time. Yes, I'll be sorry. I'm a bit familiar. One more. You didn't mention your experience in Gaza, which is very special. We're not only giving services to some refugees, we're giving the whole society, which is a big crisis due to the I think the budget give us some idea about how this distribution is money coming and in the budget for Gaza and for Gaza. This is which indicates because the policy of UNRWA giving parts of the budget here and there is not ruled by the intervention of the Arab regimes, even those who are receiving and hosting the it's only properly by the UNRWA stuff. How can we understand that one day there is a big crisis about deficit, second day, okay, we heard about $50 million from Saudi Arabia, another 50 from Emirates, another third 50 from Qatar. So 350 is can solve the problem of the deficit. How can we control in our minds that this deficit also one of the problems and the cards to be played on the right of refugees and the right of existence for uh, which you explained very quite clearly the link between UNRWA and the right of refugees. Should I? Um... <coughs> Maybe let me start from uh, uh, from the end. I mean, the the budget thing is 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 very complex, but we need the flexibility. We have you know five fields, as you know, so uh, many of the decisions have to make centrally as to which program you fund, how much you give to each of the fields, and so on. So, for example, in in Gaza, when when we had the you know the the marches for the return and so on, and you saw all the killing and everything. We had, it, we had to add 10 million 
to uh, to that to the medical services. So we increased uh, we increased the budget. We also receiving or uh, we receiving these uh, these uh, uh, emergency appeals that I that I mentioned to you that are funded separately by countries. And um, again, there's been a drop in funding there. So to some extent, we've absorbed some of the activities in the core budget, which already has a huge hole. So there's only so much you can do. And that's why in Gaza, for example, we did not renew the contract for 200 and some, and some people. Uh, these are all very difficult decisions. And as I said, you know, um, and our staff have been remarkable in that respect. Uh, we tried as much as possible to uh, not to touch the services until we really can't, uh, can't stop. You know, you, you could make decisions, for example, we stop the schools, we run the clinics, or we stop Lebanon and we uh, concentrate on Gaza. But, uh, you know, uh, at some point, uh, these decisions don't really, don't really make sense. Either the world wants an organization that functions, or there's only so much you can do by rejiggling the little money uh, you have. But these are decisions that are made centrally for, for good reason, because there's, you know, and then there's Syria. There's an ongoing uh, war there, and things, uh, and things change, etc. So that's uh, in terms of um, uh, in terms of the of the budget. The um, I'll go backwards from in the order of the question. I you know I know there's all kinds of rumors about what uh, UNRWA things say, what uh, I've dreamt, and so on. There was never an issue with the numbers of the uh, uh, of the census. Um, there was an issue with some Lebanese politicians who openly questioned the figures. But the census was done professionally. There's no reason to, uh, uh, to dispute that. But one needs to understand what a census is. A census is you count uh, people over a week uh, in July um, in those restricted areas, and then you come, up, uh, you come up with those figures. We have not done a census. Nobody else has done a, a, an alternative census to be able to say, no, we agree, we disagree. Um, I try to explain what, uh, what we can count the people that we give services to, uh, but that you know doesn't amount to. These are not all the Palestinians that are in Lebanon, for the reason that I, that I mentioned. So um, I actually I think it's it was a useful exercise. I'm looking forward to the day when they will publish a full report on the census. I know they're still working on it, and at that stage we can then have a better uh, comparison with the uh, with the with the figures. Um, in terms of. Uh, um, There was a question about, um, well, your question about, uh, you know, teaching. Uh, I mean, it's uh, this wouldn't be a, wouldn't be an issue. You just need to train the teachers to to uh, to teach that uh, teach that as well. Um, I think we're more concerned that they learn more useful things than uh, than the history of UNRWA. But we can certainly uh, arrange that for those uh, for those who are who are interested. And uh, but I'd be happy to uh, you know. Meet you and our education department, and and discuss uh, discuss this uh, in um, in more in more detail. Um, I'm not sure there were other. I mean, there's another important thing that needs to be stressed uh, that uh, in Lebanon it's true there are severe restrictions for medical uh, assistance, right to work, and other things that I mentioned. On the other hand, we have about 6,000 Palestinians in Lebanese schools. Unfortunately, the, foreign, the Ministry of Education is not able to tell us uh, uh, how many are those those are registered with UNRWA or not. So, and we take a few Lebanese and a few Syrians in our schools. For example, those who live in camps don't really have any option 
uh, and we make some exceptions, although we're under pressure uh, to, again, limit as much as possible ourselves uh, to the core refugees. So that's another interesting uh, discussion to, uh, that, uh, that we have to have. Why I'm asking that about 
for two reasons. First, I think uh, uh, UNRWA has, has been reluctant to, uh, to take seriously, to help the Palestinians on the governance of refugee camps. I think and the vetting and institutional reform is one of the pillars of the transition justice. And the second uh, reason, I think, uh, I don't know how would you operate without addressing um, the question of memory mobilization, uh, right to return, come here, uh, but also uh, uh, why Lebanese are reluctant to give the right, of, uh, right to work and to own a property to Palestinians. I mean, this is, this is something fundamentally important if you want really to resolve radically the problem, the endemic problem of honor. We'll take around, we're taking three at a time. And yeah, then just, uh, <coughs> sorry. my uh, mind space is uh, limited. Um, okay, let me start with the budget, because actually somebody made some other points that I meant to answer. We are a bit stuck with this thing of the budget. Most people don't believe it that there's a crisis, including our staff. Um, and uh, what do you have to say? Okay, I'll stop your salary so that you believe that there's a crisis. When we, we managed to reach, uh, you know, we started the year, we didn't know if we had money until June. Then money started to come in. And then we said, okay, we have money until July. Then we said, we don't know if we're going to be able to open the schools. 16th of August, the Commissioner General says, I made a decision, we opened the schools, but we have money until September. Uh, I can see why some people say, I don't believe in Kushner said, they would always threaten us to close the schools, and then they don't do it. This was the leak uh, email that uh, was put in the foreign policy. So it is a genuine problem, but we can only be truth, <laughs> truthful with, that, with the reality, which is in fact one that we are an organization that basically now lives month by month, which is not a way to run any organization. It's not even respectful for the people who don't know if they're going to have a salary um, uh, at the end of the month and so on. Um, <clears throat> so the, yeah, the budget crisis is real and at this stage I can't tell you whether we're going to be able to continue uh, beyond September. Since the announcement uh, of the U.S. cut and we said we need 217 million, uh, we had, uh, you know, the U.K. and other countries have come forward with some figures. We expect some more. I presume the 27 will be a good moment for countries to say we're putting on the table that much. So, you know, hopefully we'll get more money, whether that will take us to the end of October, to the end of November, that's what we don't know. And it's a genuine uncertainty. I don't think anybody uh, uh, is hiding anything. I think your point is, is very important. And actually, the first point that we always make is that uh, Palestinian, Palestinian refugees need to be supported because they deserve that. It's a right. Everything else is additional. But the fundamental reason why UNRWA exists and why they should be supported is dignity. We even have a campaign called Dignity is Priceless. We have, you know, we're underscore that point. Um, and that's why UNRWA also moved into having protection, having human rights at the center of its work. So it's not even charity. It's, these are individuals who do have rights. And this is, should be the first and only reason to support them. Now, it also happens that uh, if you do put you know, thousands or hundreds of thousands of people, all of a sudden you cut their support, they don't have other means, then you know, this would create some disruption. Um, and some may even join some, other, uh, some organizations who are, would happily recruit. So these are not 
made-up stories, but that shouldn't be the main reason. Uh, the same way as uh, you know, some are trying to leave Lebanon, leave other countries, and go to Europe. Every delegation of uh, Europeans that I take to a camp, the first question that young people ask them says, yes, give me money if we can here, but frankly, I'd rather have a visa and come to Germany, to Denmark, or to Sweden, and I want to leave here. Um, so, and to the extent that that may wake up people who are not really, do not have a, a much of a human interest, but that are worried about other things, you know, it's, it's worth pointing out to those dangers, even though that should not be the reason only to fund, uh, to fund UNRWA. And frankly, you know, nobody can really predict what's, uh, what's going to happen in that respect. But you're right, the first and foremost reason why Palestinian refugees should be supported is because they have a right uh, to that support. Now, sorry, I think we should have a, a separate uh, uh, discussion, a seminar on, on all the issues that you raised that, uh, that are very important. I mean, I would start by, you know, dealing with the truth. This is one of the most misrepresented uh, uh, conflicts. You know, there are still plenty of people who don't believe, who believe that, uh, you know, Palestine was a land with other people for a people without the land. Uh, the reasons of the Nakba, how did it happen, how many people, all that is still, is still uh, disputed, although more outside uh, Palestine and Israel than, uh, than within Israel, because many of the people there know, and they can see the stones of the villages, and they know uh, what happened. So, um, uh, but there's still work to be done in that respect. The same way as, you know, even acknowledging the right to return would be an important step. And then there can be a discussion as to how you go about implementing it uh, and so on. The other important thing is accountability. We are very much for any of the crimes that are taking place, uh, for those responsible to be held accountable, whether they are Palestinians, uh, Israelis, or others. Um, the governance of the camps is, uh, is, uh, is a difficult issue. Uh, and I think uh, that should be a discussion that should happen also with the Lebanese government uh, and with the Palestinian faction about how to improve things. One thing that would help is if we could change uh, uh, the representation of, uh, on the political committees. In my year here, every political committee that I met, a popular committee that I met, I found only one woman. Um, they're all men and they're all men of my age and the young people and others, no wonder they don't feel uh, you know, engaged, and that, that's not good. Um, this is, you know, taking aside all the, you know, political and other things that are going on that, that, play, that play a role, not to mention you know, the, the military the side of things with the factions that uh, fight each other. We still have, you know, now and hell is uh, shut down tomorrow. We don't know if there's going to be a resumption of fighting, that incidents in Miami, and all the rest that uh, makes an already di difficult situation uh, particularly difficult. Um, that's you know a delicate discussion. It's something that I think you know would be certainly worth uh, worth having, but it's you know again beyond uh, what we can do ourselves in the immediate. We'll take uh, sure. Yeah, no. uh, oh, okay. Sorry. Okay, we'll, we'll talk this. this uh, I want to ask you about uh, uh, what. Uh, the number of refugees to 10% and the Israelis, they thank them about that. But Mr. Pierre Crimble, he redefined the refugees, which is the refugee and his son and 
his grandson. So it is, it's possible if you hear something about that information, uh, would you please inform us about this issue? Thank you. No. No kahraba. No. No kahraba. Okay. Okay. What about garbage removal? And also, it is very much affecting the people who are living with them because it has become so congested. We are having a lot of problems, like social problems. Uh, it, it is it's impossible to keep living this way. It is miserable. So I think, I think, after working so many years in the camps, hoping to see the light, I don't see any improvement, and more people cramping in, and nobody is saying anything and making a living. Some people are even going in, building a building, renting it out, and nobody tells them anything. And there are some people also, and I'm facing it, they are asking for money to, in order to leave a certain premise, and they have no right to be there in the beginning. So what is the honor? I have told, talked to Carol Mansour a lot about it. So what is the honor? I mean, it will be the first step you can do to start cleaning up the camp. So we will know how many Palestinians are there, uh, what we should be doing, how we can improve life in the camp. I want to ask about Norwa, but I feel I also want to say something that these natural camps don't have Palestinians only, just like as a quick response to the latest comment. Uh, I, I want to ask, uh, like, does UNRWA have a strategy after uh, the U.S. Uh, latest positions? And um, does it have, like, a strategy, but doesn't declare it? Uh, or doesn't have a strategy. Um, and if not, uh, does it plan to have a strategy? And uh, like, what is the method? Uh, I mean, like, uh, you will consult communities, political uh, factions, states, uh, whatever, and to what extent it would be Participatory. And I think all of these, there are political questions important for the durable solution as national justice. All of the, and there is a practical uh, like suggestions. Uh, what I understood, there are scenarios. But like, 
it would be very powerful if Norwa comes and say that we have this uh, proposition uh, for the international community and for states uh, uh, as a response, especially that Norwa uh, used to have st uh, to put strategies, like I, I saw a strategy between 2010 and 2015. Uh, so I think now uh, there is a need for uh, such things. Okay, um, back first to the, the issue of uh, the definition of refugees. Uh, I mean, Pierre, the Commissioner General, didn't invent anything. He was just being very clear that uh, what I said at the beginning, that uh, the UNRWA's definition of refugee, particularly that the descendants down to whatever generation, uh, is not uh, unique, unique to UNRWA. UNHCR does the same thing. We have Somali, Afghanis, uh, Afghans, and, and others who are now beyond the, the first generation, and they are refugees. Um, <clears throat> so this was to, in answer to the fact that, uh, um, yeah, so that there's nothing, nothing specific about, uh, uh, about UNRWA. This is by now is kind of a general accepted principle and uh, international principle. Um, <clears throat> um, with regard to the, um, Oh yes, I mean I've I've seen the rumors about uh, somebody in the U.S. is thinking there may be forty thousand, then we saw five hundred thousand. At the moment, until we actually see what numbers and what is the rationale, you know, anybody can uh, can speculate and can believe whatever rumors uh, they have. We have our definition. There's an international law definition, and that's the one that uh, uh, we're following. And again, these in the end are decision of the General Assembly. With regard to the uh, to the camps, uh, look, you know, people living in the camps are not exactly. It's not their choice. Uh, it's uh, there. There are not pleasant environments. Uh, they are very difficult, and I don't feel that uh, you know, it's up to me to pass judgment on those who you know try to uh, rent uh, a shelter or uh, to others who are poorer than them or 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 anything else. In any case, UNRWA is not a state, uh, although you know. We have lots of the, uh, we're, we're saddled with the problems of having, you know, to run schools and, uh, and clinics and so on, but we don't have a security force. We don't have, a, we don't run the camps. We're not a governance. So, uh, you know, there is only so much uh, that, uh, that, uh, that we can do in, in that respect. And that's really a responsibility of the, uh, those who represent the refugees in the camps and of the Lebanese state in the end, uh, in terms of, uh, um, of uh, you know what should be uh, the future uh, of uh, uh, of the camps. In terms of uh, the strategy, well, again, first of all, UNRWA is implementing an international mandate. We're not some sort of a independent entity that we can announce we're going to do this or that. Um, our best strategy is to say we want to continue to provide this, these services and the protection side and do it in the best possible way. We want people to feel confident that they, the money that we give, that they give us, we use, it, we use it in the best possible way in the interest of the Palestinian refugees and their families and so on. Um, you know, beyond that, yeah, we can suggest uh, you know, whether how we run a vocational center better than other things and, and so on. We can say, and we have said, we want to expand the base of donors. We now, for the first time, we have people interested in UNRWA who are discovering even Palestinians in Indonesia, in, uh, in Malaysia, 
Um, and you know, we're very keen to pursue that. But also that takes time, particularly in order to produce the sort of money that, uh, that, that we would need. Um, so in terms of strategy, uh, in terms of donor strategy, we have expanded uh, as far as we can. In terms of uh, you know, efficiency and accountability, we are trying to do our best with the money we have. In the end, though, we are a UN agency, an international agency, and we need to follow the mandate that is given uh, to us by the General Assembly. I think we will uh, have to stop now. I know a lot of people have uh, more questions, but we're already 15 minutes uh, over schedule. We will take a 15-minute break, uh, and then we will come back to, for the panel. And you can ask me questions here. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs>